The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode 214 for the week of June 14th, 2021. Alex, we just said we're almost halfway through this year. It is hard to believe we were already halfway through the year, Rob. I feel like the year, I think, I feel like 2020 just started. Yeah, it has been, uh, it's been, I mean, a, a, a rel- you know, relative to the year, the, the bar that was set last year, it's been a pretty good year. Yeah. Uh, at least we're able to go do some things. The world is a little bit more normal. As you know, I just got back from my my two-week uh, road trip out going east. We we saw all of the parts of America that I had never wanted to go to before. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, was that, fun. That, that is pretty fun. Um, how many states have you been to, Rob? Are there still states that you haven't – do you need to yeah, check off your list? Um, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I, I have a few states left. I, I didn't make it to Vermont when I was – over there. Um, I haven't been to Montana yet. Um, there's just a couple left that I yeah. need to get. I can't remember if there's another one or two, but I'm, I'm just about done now. I don't remember the number either, but I'm in, I'm in the forties. I, th- I think Vermont is still one for me yeah. and Maine. Well, so, um, so you think to yourself, Oh, you I'll know. just go to Maine and Vermont. Vermont's kind of a pain in the butt to get to. <laughs> we, we did a drive from Boston up in New Hampshire and, and what, you know, up to, up to Maine, enjoyed the whole coast. But like, yeah. if you're going to go to Vermont, you're going to Vermont, like for the sake of checking Vermont off your list, it's like right. three hours West. So you're, you know, if you're just doing a, like a, we did like a five, six day trip, like you're really kind of killing a day to just to check off a state. And I wasn't up for that. N- Vermont's not important enough to you to, to kill a whole day. Uh, the Ben and Jerry's factory may very well be important <laughs> enough for me. Um, but you know, we, we didn't do it this time. Oh, well next time. All right. Hey, let's uh, jump into some housekeeping. As a reminder, we have a Slack channel. We'd love to have you guys join us over there. We have over 1,900 folks. Uh, go out to the website, colorado-security.com, and click the link to request a invite to Slack. We also have a mailing list. While you're on the website, uh, go to the mailing list form, put your email in, sign up. You'll get one email every week from us letting you know what the show notes are, and uh, that's it. And if you like the show, we would love it if you would rate us on your favorite podcatcher, let people know um, that Colorado Equal Security is the best place to stay connected with the Colorado security community. Um, and of course, we'd love it if you would subscribe. So each week the show comes into your inbox with no extra effort. Yeah. And you can also tell a friend, let them know all the great things happening with Colorado Equal Security. And if you want to really go over the top and you know, want to support us financially, we do have a Patreon campaign. That, uh, that campaign helps us cover the costs that we have for the podcast and all the other stuff. And big thank you to the current patrons. We really do appreciate you guys. Uh, kind of give us the inspiration to move on. You are the wind beneath our wings, as uh, <laughs> as this, the famous song goes. Are, are we going to uh, splice that in after the fact, uh, put a little, little music behind the scenes? Pause for the splicing. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed that. All right, Alex, not only was I on the road last week, but you were doing something big last week. What was going on? Yeah, last week was the annual Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Uh, a little bit different this year as that it was a virtual conference. Um, you know, it was in the, the sweet spot of when people could come back and see each other again, but that we didn't know that, <laughs> you know, eight months ago when we started planning. So uh, we figured it was safest just to plan for a virtual conference. Uh, nonetheless, it was a great show. Uh, some great keynotes, a lot of great, uh, great talks. Um, of course, even if you didn't attend, um, then you could actually register after the fact and see all of the recorded sessions. Um, I think we're still working out the details on how to do that, but uh, 
you know, e- even if you want didn't weren't able to attend but wanted to come see some of the great sessions, they are all recorded, all available for several months. That's awesome. And I have heard some really good things about a few of the sessions, so I think it's worth signing up and, and poking through to find what content you enjoy. Now, wasn't there like an in-person element to like one single we happy did, hour or something? We did have a closing happy hour on Thursday, yeah. so that we got some people together for that. Um, and that turned out nice as well. Um, but, you know, we had uh, several in the hundreds of people that attended. Um, and obviously we couldn't have that many people attend the happy hour. So much smaller. All right. Well, Hey, let's jump over to some news. Um, we have a a story this week about a stealth Denver popcorn startup. This is not uh, words I ever thought I would string together. Yeah. Those things don't seem to go together in my mind, but, um, it is pretty cool. Uh, this popcorn uh, startup. Okay. What do you think? How do you pronounce it? Rob, do you think it's op, 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 Oh, pop, pop. Um, oh, pop, pop. You think it's oh, pop, pop? Yeah. Uh, that, okay, that's what I was going to get too, but it's also op, 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 op. op. op, op, op. <laughs> it's op, op, op. Correct. Um, and you wouldn't think popcorn and startup and stealthy for that matter would go together, but uh, these guys have been working on this startup for a little while now, and their first product is actually better flavored popcorn. So it's, it's interesting because they first call themselves a – popcorn technology startup if right you read, when you read the article and i was right. like well does that mean that they're like creating technology for other companies that make popcorn to do better making their yeah, popcorn better poppers or right that, that kind of that's thing. what i was wondering yeah. and, they, and the, the people who created this um at least one of the two was really involved with the uh apple music product back when it was right. beats music um and so really kind of a an entertainment technology background um but the very first line that the thing i pulled out of this was um maybe we can make popcorn cool <laughs> wondered one of the uh, founders and and i wondered to myself is it possible to make popcorn cool well i think they're going to try and find out yeah it, it seems like uh they were going down the road of of technology and, and maybe making physical devices to make popcorn better or something like that um but it, it seems like they have stalled on that still working on it, but their first product to get something to market was actually um, f- kernels that are covered in flavor as opposed to adding flavor after the fact. Yeah, so you, you basically cover each of the individual kernels in some flavoring, and then you pop it, and it, it's supposed to work really well that way in terms of flavoring. Now, and what, what it suggested to me in the article was that maybe they were trying to sell a technology that does this, covering the kernels right. to different popcorn companies, and all those companies were like, well, let me try your popcorn. And they're like, well, if everyone wants to try our popcorn, why don't we just start selling this popcorn? Right. Uh, right now they have six flavors, which you can buy through their website, uh, including fancy butter. You know, not regular butter, fancy butter. Yeah. Uh, salted umami and vanilla cake pop. Yeah, and there was another – I looked at the website and there was something that looked pretty good to me, some kind of spicy. Now I can't remember what it was, but something spicy. I'm like, ooh, I'd like to try this out. So anyway, fancy popcorns. Um, these folks have raised uh, – over eleven million dollars as a part of this company, so they are—they've at least convinced some investors that they have a real business. Yeah, and uh, one quote in here says, "Over the next thirty-six months, we're going to be really busy. We have two or three more launches of major products this year, and then uh, it all ladders up to the bigger stuff next year." So, uh, you know, we're still in the, in the beginning of this. There's going to be much more to come, apparently, from Opapop. I, I can't wait to see it, and of course, I can't wait to hear how they really pronounce their name. Uh, well, you know, hopefully, Rob, their their popcorn machines that, that come out don't burn the popcorn. But there's a lot of Denver out workers out there uh, that have been burned because Denver worker burnout is an all time high. Well, your your smooth smooth segue is uh, is well appreciated, Alex. 
Um, and, and I would say also that this popcorn could be a nice employee perk that you could give your employees to stop them from getting so burned out. That's true. Uh, this is an article here from, ooh, I started that sentence without knowing the answer. Uh, from the this from is, KDVR. Yeah, from Fox News. Fox News. 31. But it's really just uh, referencing a study that was done nationally um, by someone. Man, I'm doing really well right now. You can tell you've been on vacation, Rob. Um, the bottom line here is that 44% of Denver workers say that they are more burned out now than in June of 2020. Robert Half made this survey. Oh, okay. Um, so, so a lot of folks are burned out. And Denver, we're not at the top of the list. Uh, fortunately for us, that's Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, but we are pretty high on the list for burnout. And, and I think there's no surprise, right? It's, it's awfully hard to, to go through what we've done over the last year and, and work from home as earnestly as we have. There's a couple tips in the article about how to alleviate it. Uh, it's really to be disciplined and committed to taking care of yourself and, and create that boundary between work life and personal life. And the better you, you are able to create um, maybe the kind of like uh, ceremonies, like beginning of the day, okay, I'm doing these things that tell me it's work time. And then a ceremony at the end of the day, those make a big difference in terms of keeping those separate and avoiding burnout. Uh, I'm also pretty sure it said in there that you should uh, take the summer off on go and go on road trips. But I, I think that that will only help your burnout. Yes. Hey, speaking of uh, things, there's a Denver startup that's a Postmate for Postmates for staging. Uh, this is for staging homes, and they just raised a $3 million seed round. Yeah, as I was going into this, I thought, really? So, someone's trying to say that they're a whatever for staging? I mean, yeah. staging a house, in my mind, doesn't seem like it is really that difficult and that you really need to disrupt that industry. Uh, but according to these guys, um, it was something that there, there was room to do. Uh, they they started out doing something else, um, and now that I've I'm gonna have vacation brain too. He even was selling he bags. He, he was, was selling bags. bags, but from his house. And as people would come and they would uh, admire his furniture, and they would ask, um, "Oh, you know, where's that from? Can you know where can we can, buy can that?" I buy your couch? Right? <laughs> can I can I have your couch too? Are you selling your couch? Um, and so uh, it all led to the fact that they thought, "Oh, well, maybe there's a market here for us to do this as part of staging houses." We could get these uh, these great products that people like, put them in houses, and then you know either sell it to the people that are um, are looking to potentially buy that house, or if someone is going to be moving in and you know buy the house, they could say, well, why don't we just keep that couch and we'll you know pay for that and just leave it here. So so they've created this business where basically in these few different markets they're in, uh, Denver is one of them. You're they will put a. Uh, uh, a well, a vetted um, stager out to your place to, to stage and put put uh, furniture in there, and they say they have stats that houses that use their staging sell forty percent faster and average five percent more on the sale price. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they did mention that uh, many of the uh, current staging companies have old, not necessarily fashionable kind of furniture that they're using as part of these staging. So, you know, when when these guys bring in. Uh, sort of name brand stuff from Crate and Barrel and West Elm and wherever else they said it, it makes your house look better. Uh, so the they do say they're going to use the money from this raise um, to scale up their platform, grow their platform, scale the team. It's currently 12 employees. They're going to grow from that 12. So it's a real business. It's, did we even say the name? It's called Guest House. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Guest, Guest House. House, yeah. yeah. Take, take a look at them. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, next, uh, two Colorado companies have made a big jump in the Fortune 500 rankings that just came out. Um, and these two companies are uh, Dish Network and Newmont Mining. 
so pretty cool. Uh, Dish Network, definitely not a surprise to me as they are expanding their business and in moving into wireless, you know, rolling out their 5G network. So uh, that seems to me like a good reason for them to move up on those Fortune 500 uh, list. So basically it's it's what rank did they move from and to on the list. That's what this is about. And, and Dish had moved from number 251 last year to their 197 now. So they moved yeah. up quite a bit. Um, Newmont. Uh, they moved up 55 spaces as well, or 55 spaces, and now they're at 273. Um, so they big growth there. They actually have the whole list of Colorado companies in the Fortune 500, um, and and how they moved. You know, number one for us in in town is Arrow. Arrow was actually number eight in the Fortune 500. That's pretty lot, cool. Lot of revenue, right? They, yeah, a lot of revenue. As a, as a uh, not a, a, distri- a distributor, they they have a, an awful lot of money that goes through them. Um, some other interesting ones on here. I'll tell you, as I was reading it, I did not remember who um, Event um, Aventive, who yeah. Aventive is, but that's the the new name for Encana, the the natural oh, right. gas company. Yep. So Encana is now Aventive, and they are uh, they are here in Colorado. I didn't I didn't actually thought they were a Canadian company, uh, but they're numbered four hundred and fifty eight. Yeah, also uh, DCP Midstream, another oil and gas company at 442. Uh, some other big names, um, uh, Corte Real, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Retail, which is, uh, that's the QVC parent company. Yeah. Uh, Ball, VF Corp, um, you know, that pretty cool VF Corp is on, on that list since they just moved here a couple of years ago. Uh, DeVita and uh, Liberty Media, so. Good stuff. Good stuff. Can you go next? I just lost my Trello. Uh-oh. Uh, next we have, uh, oh, this is a, this is actually really big news. Uh, the Colorado legislature has, legislature has passed the Colorado Privacy Act. So we've talked about the Colorado Privacy Act several times in, uh, how it was introduced and then watered down and then maybe unwatered down and then finally got passed. Um, so, uh, we are just waiting for the governor to sign the Colorado Privacy Act and then it will become law. Yeah, it went pretty fast. The, the house passed the final version on the 7th and the Senate passed it on the 8th. So we're, we're really just waiting on, I, I, I maybe by now it's been signed. I don't know. I haven't heard if uh, so. I, I think, uh, when I looked there, I saw an article from Friday that said, uh, it had not been signed yet. So I'm guessing probably this week. Awesome. Well, that's going to put us on, uh, uh, on that very elite list of States that have their own privacy regulation. Uh, what is it? It's Cal- California. Is it Massachusetts? Is the Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. And then yep. now Colorado. We'll be one of three and, you know, give it 18 months and we'll be one of 30. Uh, yeah, that that's potentially true. So, Hey, Alex, have you thought to yourself, you know what? I need a really expensive keyboard because if so, <laughs> I've got good news for you. You can buy a Colorado made keyboard. Uh, not only that, it's a Colorado made keyboard, um, with real clicky clack switches. So yeah. if, if you want to have that tactile feel of real switches, not the, these cheap keyboards that they make these days, then this is for you. Yeah, I actually would really like to have this keyboard. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing rocks because I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, so this is made by System76, which we've talked about on the show a number of times. Yep. They've created the, I think it was like the only U.S. manufactured laptop, right? Something like something that. Something like that. Um, they Ma- are Maybe like the only U.S. manufactured Linux laptop. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Hard, hard to remember. Yeah. Um, anyway, they are creating and manufacturing this... Uh, this new keyboard here in Colorado, it's uh, it works with Linux, Windows, and Mac. It's 100% open source, and uh, and I'm and it's beautiful, or it it looks old is what it looks like. Yeah, it does look old. It's got big keys. Uh, you can actually uh, get different types of switches. One that is really loud and one that is less loud. Um, 
you, you can uh, it's easy to move the keys around if you want to change uh, configurations or they have some extra key colors if you need to you know have your s be blue instead of white or whatever I, I think it looks great. I, I think the only thing I'm disappointed about is they do not have a 10 key option. Understanding that right. they're selling it as a benefit that your mouse is now closer to your keyboard, but right. I would like the 10 key option. Um, and that would that would probably put me over the top uh, on this one. You know, honestly, um, I use the 10 key so little that I probably wouldn't miss it. There, I mean, I do use it occasionally. Um, when I want it, I really want it though. I'm going to do a lot of numbers. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I did I I did a like accounting in school and and I got really used to ten key go fast I can go much faster that way. Yeah, I mean you could always get one of those the, you know the extra ten key keypads went for the couple times you need I ten could, key. I could do that anyway. Uh, also, uh, you know you mentioned how this is a very expensive keyboard. I don't think we said it starts at two hundred and eighty five dollars, so it it's not cheap. It only goes up from there. It only goes <laughs> up from there. That's where it starts. That's like so. when you buy your Tesla, right? It, right. They, the, the, off starts the fact, at it starts at thirty eight thousand, but we'll see you at one hundred and fifty. I did not pay $38,000 for my Tesla. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on. Uh, next, we had an article from Coalfire talking about uh, transitioning to the new version of uh, Star because of the cloud control matrix version 4.0. So 4.0 is the newest and, and, and greatest. This is the uh, the cloud uh, security alliances um, standard that basically different vendors can be judged against or use themselves to talk about their security practices. You know, coming from a, a SaaS vendor, we've used Star in the past. Um, Alex, what's in this new version? You know, I've I've been told that version 4.0 is uh, 33% better than 3.0. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so the for those of you who don't know, the cloud controls matrix is. Uh, from CSA, this is their uh, their version of a control framework for cloud security. Uh, the STAR is the registry that you can be part of if you are certified on the cloud controls matrix. And uh, with this new version, they have added some additional uh, controls, more in the privacy area, more in, in encryption. Uh, they've changed some wording. I think that the they said the last version three, I think, came out, or not, sorry, the last version of version three, which was, I think, think 3.1.1 came out in, I believe, 2019. So it's been a while since they've updated this. And obviously the uh, obviously the uh, the cloud has changed a bit since uh, 2019. So uh, it, it makes sense that they are they're adding new stuff to this. Um, if you are someone that is um, on the star registry or being audited against the cloud controls matrix, you will be required to use the new version four sometime by the middle of uh, 2022. All right, good stuff. Uh, moving along, we have a blog this week from Red Canary, and this is about how you're going to basically test your Linux runtime threat detection tools. When you think of, uh, call it like what, like host intrusion detection systems, uh, EPP, EDR, whatever you want to call it on a Linux box, it really is different. Um, on, on Windows or Mac, you have relatively closed environments where, you know, if you say I'm on Windows, well, I say, okay, well, what version of Windows? And then, you know, but with Linux, there's so many different flavors and different versions. It's much more difficult to, to, to test. So this article from Red Canary is getting into if you're going to put some kind of threat detection on your Linux boxes, here's how you know if it's going to work in your environment. And, and just because they say they have Linux support doesn't mean that that support's going to work for what, what you're actually running. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting article talking about doing those that testing and um, 
after reading it, it's it's something to me that seems pretty obvious, right? That there is enough difference that you're going to want to test this, but you know, probably something that I hadn't really thought about enough in the past that this is probably something you really need to do. Yeah, I think if this is something that it's perfect for for a search engine optimization, if if you need to test EDR on Linux, that's a good search and this is going to show up, hopefully right. it shows up and then you'll have your answer because they they give you specifically like what the test should look like and uh, walk you through how to how to do it in more detail than just like you and I could brainstorm right now. Right. Yeah, while this wasn't a uh, you know, a detection engineer blog, um, it is another one of the very detailed blogs from Red Canary. Yep. So good stuff. All right. Uh, final article of this week is from Logarithm talking about the top eight benefits uh, of a remote internship at Logarithm. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, Logarithm, you know, local security company. They are uh, they are they have an internship program. And, and this was actually written by one of their interns. I, I couldn't tell if it's a current or past intern, uh, but someone who talks about what their experience looks like and and why it was such a good experience for them. Yeah. Uh, first on that list is doing impactful work. They say from the start, you're going to be actually doing work with them, not just, you know, sort of uh, getting coffee and donuts and th- that sort of thing. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, they have a networking program for the interns. Uh, they also provide um, additional learning modules and mentorship. Uh, they're going to be doing a presentation. The interns uh, will, will do a presentation. Um, I think it includes uh, members of the executive team that are part of receiving that presentation. So you, you have a project you're going to present. Uh, and then of course you have an individual project that interests you. And that's the kind of work you're going to be doing there as some part of your work. Yeah. They also encourage self-guided learning for their interns uh, by providing a Udemy subscription to all of the interns, as well as uh, getting used to actually working at a real company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So they talk about business workflows, you know, uh, agile ceremonies and other things like that that you might experience as uh, part of working in IT. That's it. Well, it's good stuff. Good on Logarithm for having that program. Let's jump over to our Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre Gate. It's actually not Slack message of the week, is it this year? This week? No, um, we are. We, we're we, doing we're, a little different. We're switching it up. We talked about it a few weeks ago that we wanted to recognize a member of the community who who really just makes the community better for other folks, and that's what we're going to do this week. But I do need to once again thank Andre. Um, Andre, who allows us to recognize folks and, and gives a, a prize for this. So the person who we recognize here is going to get to pick an item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. Yeah, and in case uh, everyone forgot, we, we took some uh, nominations from people in the community about who they thought deserved an award like this. And uh, this week's winner is uh, it's Greg Sterberg. Greg Sterberg. Greg, uh, I mean, you and I have known Greg for man, a long time. How, yeah. How long have, did you work on it? When did you guys work together on ISSA? Yeah, I mean, we worked together with, at ISSA for uh, you know many years ago. I, I don't even remember when it when he first started volunteering yeah, with like us. A decade plus ago. Yeah. And, and and when I was president after you, he was a, an active member of the board. And he's been not only involved with ISSA for a long time, uh, and he uh, we were talking about he's generally the one who would go to the go to the meetings that I'd be there. Right. Like right. we just need people to be at the meetings to, to get things set up and, and do registration and all that. And he was always willing to be that guy to show up. We appreciate that. Uh, he's also a, a regular speaker at security events around town. He's an expert in architecture and AppSec, And uh, he, he, he shares that in, in a number of different speaking opportunities. Uh, and many of you may not know Greg because he does tend to keep a low profile and he does this because he loves to do it, not because he wants recognition. Yeah. Uh, and I will just throw out one other thing. At the beginning of COVID, uh, Greg volunteered to run a a Colorado Equal Security Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Um, so he's been doing that for the last year. Greg, thank you for all you do to support the community. Well, that you, You'll get one item from the store. Email coming soon. All awesome. right. 
Uh, let's jump over to the events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar of events on our website. You can see all the good stuff coming in the area over the next few months. Uh, so first on Tuesday the 15th, uh, the Colorado Cool Security Poker Night. I think that there are still a few spots available. Uh, come onto the Slack channel and join the, the poker channel there and uh, or talk to Jason Jakes for more details. Yeah, I, I am supposed to be defending my title at this tournament. We'll see. We'll see. Number one, if my personal life allows me to show up. And number two, if I can once again take home all of the money. Uh, also on the 15th, the Cloud Security Alliance has their June meeting. On the 17th, ASIS is doing a, an event called Propaganda and Extremism Today, which sounds really interesting. It's probably not for helping increase propaganda, I hope. I hope this is about uh, combating it. Uh, on the 17th as well, Denver IA, the Denver IAM user group has an, a meeting that's embracing disruption and identity proofing. On the 23rd, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their June hybrid meeting. Also on the 23rd, our last event here, the Denver Splunk Meetup is doing an in-person event at the Wincoop. What? They're going to be increasing value and managing costs with Splunk DSP and workload pricing. I don't know what that means, but, uh, but it's in you, person. You'll get to find out in person. There's probably beers. Uh, I would hope so if you're at Wincoop. All right. So let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. Starting at the top here, we have a, a job at Vale Resorts working with our friend Ian Buxton. This is for a director of IT security. CoBank is looking for a security manager for threat management. Uh, Charles Schwab is hiring a senior manager of security. Premier Members Credit Union is looking for an information security manager. Oracle is hiring a development security manager. Netscope is looking for a senior product security engineer. SCL Health with our friend Howard Hale is hiring an IT risk analyst. Coinbase is looking for a product manager for security engineering. That sounds cool. Guild Education, which is like the hottest unicorn here in Colorado. They're hiring a senior information security analyst with Julie Ciccolo. And the Boulder Valley School District is looking for an information technology security specialist. Good stuff. Well, that is it for the newscast. We, once again, we have a nice long run of having interviews. We do have an interview this week as well. Um, this week, I sat down with the co-founder and CEO for Heka, which is a local security company, Travis Good. Um, Tra Travis, super interesting guy, uh, uh, repeat entrepreneur, um, really helping tackle the problem of security awareness training in security. And I'm excited to share what he's doing with you guys. Sounds awesome. I look forward to it. All right. Well, that is it. We will talk to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. This is Cole Metzner, IT Security and Compliance Officer for Unifocus. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. All right, welcome to the interview portion of Colorado Equals Security. This is Rob, and, and today I am sitting with Travis Good. Um, Travis, you are the uh, co-founder and CEO of a local company, um, Heika, and, and we've talked about Heika here on the show, I think maybe once or twice over the years. Um, I think you guys were a part of Techstars and um, some some interesting stuff we'll get into in there. But but first, um, I, I'm super interested to hear about your your family and, and what you guys are doing that's uh, maybe a little bit um, more uh, well animal focused than some of us. So tell me what you guys are doing. Yeah, so um, I guess we, we have a well, I have a, a big family and that includes four kids, but then also uh, sort of beyond that, we have a lot of uh, lives that we've <laughs> uh, sort of integrated into our into our lives and into our into our property here outside of uh, uh, Steamboat Springs. So we have 
what we describe as a hobby farm to differentiate from the fact that, you know, we're not really dependent on it uh, for a living, but uh, we got into uh, raising animals probably six or seven years ago. Now we started just, you know, with, with chickens and over the years we've had, you know, milking goats and meat goats and, and llamas and, and my wife's really into like mini animals. So for some reason, like mini horse and mini donkey, which is kind of odd, but you know, so not very you gotta tell me about but. a mini horse and a mini donkey. Uh, is this yeah. like a, a horse, the size of a, of a German shepherd? What, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So the, the one we have is actually, we had the mother and father was actually born on our, uh, born on our property. Um, and so when it, when it was born, it was like teensy. I mean, you could carry it around. It could go like in our house and stuff. Uh, he, he's more like, you know, 200, 220 pounds now. So I guess maybe like a really big, like St. Bernard, maybe. Um, how, how tall? But, ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, I would guess, you know, he's probably three feet ish. I mean, um, that's a pretty small little, little girl. He's got some decent girth. Um, I mean, the entertaining thing about him is he, he thinks he's a, he thinks he's a full-size horse. So like, he'll try to like act like he's a full-size horse at times, but like, you know, his, when he like rears up the, the highest he can get is maybe like shin or knee level. Um, he's just not very agile, <laughs> uh, based on that shape. Uh, but yeah, he's, 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 he's relatively entertaining when he's not, you know, getting into things he shouldn't get into. So, so how many, do you just have the one miniature horse now? You said the mom. We just had have one. Blue. Yeah, we had three. We have one. When we moved, we moved to Colorado uh, about three years ago from, um, we lived in Taos, New Mexico. And uh, we, we yeah, anyway, we, we pared down the horses at that point. So we just have one horse. We have one mini horse and one mini donkey to keep the company. And then they uh, live with uh, three llamas uh, that we have as well. So does the, is the mini donkey roughly the same size? Is that bigger, smaller? Yeah, he's, he's like totally misshapen. Um, like he's a little bit bigger in terms of body size, but his head is like almost the size of a full donkey, which makes him like kind of entertaining um, to, to look at. Uh, and he, and he's, he's loud as a, as a regular donkey. So you can definitely hear him. Um, and somehow he can hear like every stirring, um, you know, at the house in the morning. So you, you hear him braying um, as, soon as, as soon as anybody's up uh, in the house. <laughs> So you've got chickens, you get eggs and you get milk from goats and sounds like mm -hmm. meat from goats. Uh, any, any other, uh, uh, parts of your, of your diet coming from animals? Yeah. So we have, we, yeah, we do, we don't do, we don't have goats anymore. We've done those in the past. We have, uh, we have turkeys, uh, that we, we raise for eggs and for, for meat as well. Um, and then for part of the year, our kids, uh, raise pigs, um, and they do that as a part of like 4-H projects. And yeah. so pigs are, you know, you have them for, I don't know, four months, maybe, yeah. maybe five months, depending on when you get them. Uh, so it's a pretty short stint. And, and here where we live outside of steamboat, I mean, you know, it, we have friends who have, have property and animals where it's a little bit warmer year round <laughs> here. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the winter is, is, is like super challenging uh, with animals. And so it's kind of nice with pigs at least to only have them um, when the, when the ground is mostly thawed, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so excited to hear these stories. Thank you for sharing. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, let's, yeah. let's go back uh, and start off at the beginning. Where, where are you from? Uh, so <laughs> I'm from um, a place that is nothing like where I live now. And you know, I didn't grow up raising animals. So I'm actually from South Florida, uh, really just kind of the epitome of like, you know, uh, suburbia in, in a sense. Um, and so that's, that's where I actually, my wife and I, we, we met in high school. So we both are from nice. South Florida. Um, 
and and still I still have some family uh, there uh, and and go back from time to time. My sister's getting married um, this summer in Florida, so I'll be back there this summer. Uh, it was a it was a fun place to grow up. Uh, very different from you know where I live now. Um, yeah, both in terms of uh, in terms of like every single aspect, climate, culture, uh, you know, pretty much everything is different. Uh, but it's a we we, we like the. We, we, we really love the seasons. Uh, and so that's why we, we really kind of have fallen in love with this, this part of Colorado. Um, so your wife and you met in high school and, and my mm-hmm. wife and I also met when I was in high school. Um, did, did you guys date in high school and then, you know, go all the way through? Did you, did you break up? Like, or did you, didn't, were you friends mm-hmm. for years? Like how'd that work? Yeah. So we did, we dated in, uh, we dated in high school. Um, and, then we went through a period, we went to actually different colleges. I went to University of Florida and she went to uh, Brown in uh, Rhode Island. And, and so we kind of went through a period um, like where we broke up in, in college and then we got back together in college and then uh, at the end of college, uh, moved in together and, and <laughs> moved in and got married depending on the order for grandparents there. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was still on the East Coast. So we were in DC at the time and, um, and eventually made our way out here. But yeah, we, we've, we've, we've known each other, uh, since, you know, or we, we met each other like when I was 15, she was 14 and then dated and then, you know, kind of a small break and then got back together and, and have been together all the way through. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Like there's not a lot of surprises, right? Like oh, all of your histories are all pretty well out in front of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And your families tend to know each other, you know, like your yeah. families have that history and background yeah. as well, which is, I don't know, I guess I don't know anything else, uh, but it, it works well <laughs> for us. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into your, your kind of education. You, you said you went to uh, university of Florida. It looks like you, you got your, um, your bachelor's in information systems. Yeah, I got my, uh, yes. Uh, master's bachelor's and master's excuse yeah. me, in information systems. And then, um, I was recruited out of uh, college, uh, by a partner at PwC who, who went to university of Florida, uh, a guy named Paul Connolly, super, super cool guy is actually, I think he still is maybe the, uh, CISO at, um, oh man, why am I blanking on the largest like healthcare HCA, sorry, in, uh, in, in Tennessee, he's there now, but he recruited me. He was like, really cool history. He was, uh, you know, secure, um, like communications officer for like the Reagan white house. And so has all these really interesting stories about secure communication links on horseback with like Gorbachev and, and, and Reagan. Anyway, so he hired me and, and I worked at PwC and, and Booz Allen Hamilton out of college doing cybersecurity assessments, like white hat hacking, wow. uh, you know, pen testing, things like that. Yeah, it's pretty wild west. It looks like, you know, 2002 to 2006 timeframe. Um, yeah, you guys were probably, you know, cr- kind of creating a lot of that on your own. Uh, yeah, I think the tools are a lot better now <laughs> that you can, you can download and, 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 and automate. Um, so yeah, we, we, we did end up doing, uh, actually a lot of, um, uh, programming and tool creation. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, learned a ton, um, like the group I was working with and, you know, right out of, right out of college to be able to do that and, and travel and, and have those experiences. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, if your if your LinkedIn profile is any indication, it looks like after Booz Allen, you uh, you made a pretty significant veer in your career. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. Uh, so I ended up uh, going back to school, um, going back to graduate school to to medical school. Uh, I had spent some time uh, working 
um, shadowing with a couple different physicians. I was living in, when I was working for uh, PwC in Booz Allen, I was working in the DC, uh, DC metro area. And I started uh, actually uh, just sort of shadowing to explore, you know, different career paths. And I don't come from like a family of doctors. Uh, and so, you know, if you don't, you tend not to get much exposure to that that world. Mm -hmm. um, and so that exposing that world, and I felt like it was what I wanted to do. And so it was fortunate. I actually had to take some additional prereqs um, while I was still in DC um, to, you know, sort of finish out my application, but applied to, to med school and um, was fortunate to, to have some options. And, and one of them was the University of Colorado. And so uh, that brought me uh, off the East Coast and, and got me to, to Colorado and, and to uh, Denver. So a guy who had a a bachelor and master's in information systems with four, four or five years of analyst kind of doing security assessments is able to get into medical school. That's, that's a path that exists or you created that path, I guess. Yeah. So medical, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not a path, I guess, but um, <laughs> you know, you, you, medical school, I can't remember, you know, there's lots of stats about like what the average age is now coming into medical school. So you, you have a, like an interesting mix at it's, it's some schools, medical schools more than other schools, where you get an interesting mix of people that are, you know, three, five, eight, 10 years into some career, and they're shifting um, to something else. So I was definitely not the only, I mean, I think I was the only one probably that was doing like the type of cybersecurity work I was doing. But, you know, I met a lot of people that were, you know, computer programmers or, really? um, I, yeah, I mean, farmers, <laughs> you kind of name it, there's kind of a broad range these days um, huh. in medical school. But yeah, um, yeah, so it was definitely a different path, uh, and it's getting back in, you know, to the and and med school's kind of, you know, it's, you start strong in terms of the requirements and the the academics, and so like getting back into it after being kind of out of it for four or five years was definitely a, a you know, an awakening. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I actually really loved uh, medical schools. It was a you know, it was a great. I ended up doing five years because I did. Uh, I added an MBA year onto my MD. So you can do that at Colorado as a five-year program. You, you take a, a break for a year for medical school and do a year um, uh, of business school to do your MBA. And so, um, yeah, but I, I, I love those five years. Um, I really enjoyed it and exposed it, you know, exposed me to the healthcare system in a way that I think is hard to get exposed to it in other ways. And so, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great five years and it was great to get out to Colorado. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, a doctor, but I, I think, you know, basically you do the in-class learning and then you're going to do um, residency and internships. Is that true? Yeah. So, so yeah. So medical school, I mean, there's some variations on this now in the U S but you know, yeah, by and large, it's, you know, four years and traditionally it's two years of, of like classroom work and two years of clinical work yeah. that, you know, that's kind of skewed a little bit these days or, or people are changing that, but yeah. And then you end up doing anywhere from you could do a one-year like internship um you know through you know residencies plus fellowships and you know you can kind of keep going with training forever if you want to uh but yeah medical school you after medical school after you you graduate and get your md you um you apply to the residency match and that kind of determines the direction you right. go um in terms of um clinical specialty so you so you finished your education and then next would have been residency did did you do a residency somewhere no, I didn't. So next would have been residency. Um, you know, interesting one on that. So I, I, I wasn't sure what, I, what clinical specialty I was interested in when I was in medical school. I, I went back and forth between um, emergency medicine and uh, ophthalmology. Um, and uh, the, the interesting thing about that was I, I had done some research um, in my first two years uh, with, with, a, with, a, with an ophthalmologist uh, at, at CU. 
And then I went away for a year to do my MBA, went away, you know, just <laughs> to the other side of town uh, to do my MBA. And um, I started working for uh, like, like interning essentially for a couple uh, healthcare organizations in Denver, um, you know, started working with Denver Health, started working with Catholic Health Initiatives is based in South Denver, um, the, the office of CIO there. And then I came back and, and, and your fourth year, you're spent, you know, spent applying and interviewing and all that for, for residency. And I talked to those mentors in ophthalmology that I had done you know, research with and not just them, other clinical mentors that I had met during my clinical rotation, surgeons and, and some other um, uh, primary care doctors as well. And without fail, like literally 100% said, if you're considering not doing, you know, at that point I was interested in technology and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do clinically. And without fail, 100% of them were like, you shouldn't do a residency. <laughs> they were like, you should, you should, you should go down the non-clinical path if you, if you think that's what you want. Um, and and I, I mean, I think for for a lot of those um, providers, the reason you know it's kind of a grass is greener thing. You know, a lot a lot of providers, uh, clinicians, MDs. At some point in their career, they do something non-clinical, whether that's business-related, technology-related, research-related, um, you know, whatever it might be. And so, you know, there's all of them um, sort of steered me towards that path. And I think that, I mean, I'm, I, I'm 100% not regretful. I'm, I'm glad I didn't um, match into the residency. I, I, my, my wife is a practicing physician and, you know, having, watching sort of, you know, firsthand her and, and a lot of close friends from medical school go through it. I, I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have ended up practicing at the end of it. So I don't, I don't think it would have been a, <laughs> a good, a good way to spend, you know, 80 hours a week for, for three to five years of my life. So what did you do? Uh, so at the end of medical school, I founded my uh, last company. Um, so during my fourth year of medical school, I, I, when I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to go into the match, I actually started uh, writing for a uh, health IT uh, blog publication. This must have been like 20, 2009-ish, I guess. And I was writing about a lot of um, sort of new technologies that were coming into healthcare. So there are companies like now, the ones that have succeeded that you, you know that you hear of, their companies are just getting started like Teladoc and American Well, and you know these telemedicine companies that are you know big public companies now, ZocDoc, which is a huge schedule, all, you know, sort of all of these new types of um, technology-enabled healthcare services, and, and I started to sort of cover that for, for this publication called HIS Talk, mm-hmm. and through that process, you know, ended up engaging with a lot of people that were building these tools, or people that were at innovation groups, um, you know, at, at insurance companies, or, or pharmaceutical companies, or, or healthcare organizations, uh, healthcare delivery organizations, and everybody was looking to build modern technology, and at the time, you know, this is like 2010-ish, like I said, 20, 2010 to 2012, there were a lot of uh, different developer tools being developed. So Heroku had, had grown and been sold as a platform, as a service. Uh, there were other types of, you know, sort of backend services that made it easier to, to onboard or, or sort of, you know, build and deploy applications. But if you want to do it uh, and, and um, your application contained PHI, protected health information, uh, you couldn't use a lot of those tools. So you were kind of working from scratch. And so the, the hypothesis behind my last company that I founded at the end of medical school, a company that, a uh, company called Datica was to uh, build a uh, HIPAA compliant and eventually we went through high trust, but really is a, is a way to, to remove some of those roadblocks to enable people who were building applications for healthcare that were going to contain PHI um, and to do it in a way where they could take advantage of cloud services. So take advantage of AWS, but also pass their audits uh, and pass mm-hmm. their security reviews with their customers. So they could, you know, more quickly focus on I mean, more quickly build applications and focus on you know the value of what they were building, and not on becoming experts in how to configure 
you know, cloud services to pass HIPAA assessments or HITRA certifications. So, so that was a an accelerator was, for adopting cloud services and, and building your own cloud applications. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, as, as a tool really built for developers that, that wanted to come into healthcare and, and build new tools, but do it in a way where they could, you know, actually sell into to healthcare organizations. Yeah. So talk about the kind of the, the road there, you know, as you, as you looked to build that company up and through, obviously you're not doing that anymore. So t- just tell me about the life of that company. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that was, a, I, I look back, it was interesting. Like I really had no idea what I was doing in terms of like starting a company. Um, I mean, you know, you tend to get a lot of, uh, like an MD for, for better, or for worse, gives you like credibility when you walk into a room or into meetings, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it obviously doesn't prepare you for a lot of things. And, and one of those things is like starting a technology startup. Um, so, you know, I, I look back and really didn't have any idea like what I was doing in terms of company building, but was fortunate to connect with, um, connect with, you know, a good group of people and got introduced to, you know, a couple of good groups of inve- investors who were really intrigued by the, the idea um, and, you know, was able to, you know, raise some initial funding and, and hire on some developers and, and build an, adi- an initial product and then, you know, kind of snowball from there. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we raised money through, um, I guess, three rounds of funding and grew that business to uh, about 100, 130 or so um, customers. Those were, that was a mix of like our largest customer uh, was, a, was Johnson & Johnson. So a pharmaceutical company, we had some insurance companies. The bulk of our customers were uh, like healthcare startups. Um, and so we grew that business and then eventually um, you know, sold that business almost, almost three years ago now um, to, to a company out of um, uh, Minneapolis called Sensoro Health. Um, mm. And so, yeah, that was an interesting journey. And, and you know, like I said, I, I really learned a ton, um, made tons of mistakes, uh, you know, but we were super fortunate in, in terms of timing and, 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 and perseverance to, to, you know, uh, succeed in building a, a real business there. And so, um, yeah, it was a great experience and, and taught me a ton, um, and not just about company building, but, you know, a lot of other things, which um, I'm hoping I tell people that, you know, I'm hoping I don't make the same thousand mistakes with this new company. Um, you know, I'll probably make other mistakes, but maybe not all the same ones over again. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, our, that's my goal. So w- one more question about Datica. It, it looks like it was called Catalyze mm-hmm. at the beginning. What, what, what was the name change about? Yeah. So we founded the company as Catalyze. Um, and uh, the name change was about, you know, a couple of years in realizing that Catalyze was, I mean, could have realized this, I guess, but you had known or thought about it from the beginning, but, you know, Catalyze was a dictionary term, an English word. And so in trying to, to, to defend that name um, with trademarks and, and in, right. in search and things like that, we just, we just found we couldn't do it. So that's all another, you could do an entire podcast on like renaming a business after a couple of years, even a business that's not that big. Um, that was like a very big uh, process, but yeah. Anyways, we rebranded the company uh, a couple of years in from from Catalyze to to Datica. Well, all you have to do is uh, is look at our telcos who change their name every every five years or so after <laughs> after everyone hates the, the the original name, so they they come up with a new one to try and rebrand. Uh, yep. It's, yeah. It's kind of a different different angle on that on that problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There, there's probably something to be learned there. Um, uh, so there probably is something to be learned. Hey, so it looks like you you uh, kind of moved on uh, in November of 2019. At least that's what LinkedIn tells me. And then mm-hmm. very shortly thereafter, March of 2020, you started a new company, the Hika. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, that's not a very long break to take after 
after what I would imagine was like, you know, a, a marathon that you ran at the speed of a sprint, you know, what was your thought process that you're like, Hey, I need to get back into starting a new company so quickly. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of what I, part of what I came to realize in, in building Catalyze, you know, Datica, and then going through, um, you know, multiple rounds of funding and, and, you know, ultimately, um, ultimately uh, selling was that, uh, you know, I, I realized where I was, where my interests were, where my strengths were, you know, kind of what I, what, what, you know, helped get me up in the morning. And, and that was really around sort of starting and building things. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I really, one, wanted to get back to that. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know, my, my, I can't remember how my wife phrased it, but she phrased it where like, you know, like, like I need something like that. <laughs> um, that's just kind of what, what makes me tick. And so, um, yeah, so I really wanted to get back into starting something. And there were a few, um, few things that, you know, my, my co-founder and I batted around, my co-founder now at, at Heike and I uh, batted around, but I, like, I really ultimately wanted to, to, to jump back into something. I felt like my experience, um, you know, being at like, you know, 2013 was when, you know, people in, in, in healthcare or who aren't in healthcare, 2013 is when the HIPAA omnibus rule went to effect. And so that's when cloud providers started to have, you know, have to sign business associate agreements. So it's when like, you know, healthcare in the cloud sort of became relevant. And so, um, you know, being, being there as a part of that, that, uh, that trend and as a part of sort of healthcare's onboarding the modern technology, I felt like, you know, it exposed me to just generally, um, the, I guess the market or, or intersection of, of, of regulation and technology. Um, and so I felt like I, I had a lot, uh, a lot of potentially relevant ideas that I wanted to explore uh, based on that experience at, at Datica and things that I had seen and experienced myself. So yeah, I just kind of felt like I wanted to jump back into it. I, it's funny, I just had somebody send me a note who uh, they sold their company um, a few months ago and they were like, man, I'm, you know, they're still working there, but they were like, man, I'm just kind of enjoying you know, my, my, I'm, I'm enjoying kind of cruising at this point. Um, and so I was just chatting with them just a few days ago, uh, in a very similar conversation, uh, where I told them the same thing. I just, you know, felt like there was stuff I really wanted to get back into and, and do again. Yeah. So what was the problem you and your co-founder decided you guys can help solve? So what we experienced, um, at Datica as we were growing that business and, and we were, you know, we were focused, we weren't just a, like a, you know, a technology company or a healthcare technology company. I mean, we were focused on compliance. We were focused on security. Like we were a key part, you know, a key component of, of how our customers pass their audits and their security reviews, and they were inheriting things from us. And so, um, you know, despite that, that focus and, and um, you know, really like value proposition of the market, we continually would get asked by em- our employees, you know, and we were using, you know, like SaaS applications, we're using Slack, Zendesk, HubSpot, you kind of name it. And we would always get asked, like, what data can I share? If I'm going to dump this lead list, where can I put it? Like, how do I set these permissions for these Google Docs? How do I share this with, you know, customers, right? And we, at the time, you know, this at the time, uh, this is, I guess, probably 2015 when we first wrote our training, but we ended up writing and open sourcing our own um, training material when mm-hmm. we were at Datica. Um, and, and we used it, uh, a lot of our customers use it, it's open source, you know, other people, uh, use it as well. We also open source our like, you know, privacy policies and procedures, all those things, which, you know, a lot of people still use, but, um, in terms of the training, yeah, we, and then after leaving, you know, Datica, we, we really felt like, um, 
you know, cybersecurity is, is obviously exploded in terms of the types of tech, you know, the types of products out there um, and the types of, you know, automations and, and all these other pieces around technology. But, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of risk associated and people talk about this a lot, but there's still a lot of risk associated with employee actions and, and really human risk, human decisions, you know, security hygiene of your employees. And we felt like there was, there was nobody who was really effectively serving the market. And, and a lot of the tools that existed were, you know, largely bolted on and, and geared, you know, more towards passing audits as opposed to like really helping employees make better decisions mm -hmm. and reducing risk. Um, and, and we felt like there was a way to leverage those, the tools I was just mentioning, those workflow tools like Slack and, and like Zendesk and others to actually, you know, deliver, uh, you know, the right content. We can talk about it as the right content to the right people at the right time. Um, where, you know, what we think of traditionally is like security awareness training or, or HIPAA privacy training, or now, you know, GPR training, CCPA training, you kind of make that, that disappear. And then you embed that content and you embed the delivery of it, um, into the tools that people are using every day. So you can do it in an intelligent way. You can do it in a relevant way. And, and ideally in a way that isn't like a, a, a big burden for, for your employees. Yeah. And I'd say that one thing you've, you've got out of there, which I can imagine a lot of our compliance folks listening is, is you're still able to report on it. We're still able to see yeah. metrics. And, and I can speak this because you did show, show it to me. And I'm uh, so I, I got to see how it works. Um, so yeah, how, you're, you're putting it in the tools people use, you're making it uh, a part of day-to-day -day activities. Um, what's the, where are you so far in this kind of, Hey, we had this idea, we're starting to develop this thing out. Now, where are you in terms of having a product ready to go? Yeah, so we released. Um, we 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 we're a new company. Uh, we're about, actually about a year old this month, um, and we you know went to market last fall with a, a private version or a private beta version of a, a Slack application that made it you know we really wanted to leverage Slack and channels and all those things for for user management and other things, but you know where where people could essentially create and and assign trainings and, and people could take training so they, it made it super simple to create and administer trainings download evidence uh but then also for learners to 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 actually engage with training um and so we launched that in the fall uh we went to a public beta this uh in february i went to techstars we, we went to public beta coinciding with starting techstars went through techstars um we've onboarded um almost a hundred um, companies to the application or, or hundred companies have installed the application. We have about almost, uh, 1500 active users that are training on it. And, you know, we've just gotten really like phenomenal feedback and iterated pretty quickly. Um, and then really, you know, what we've discovered is, is people want to be able, they, they really love our delivery mechanism. And I think what differentiates us is, is the delivery. And so now, um, what we are doing and, and we're going to have some, um, some announcements in the next, you know, uh, one to two months around integrating other types of content and other mm -hmm. forms of content. Um, so we're going to be the delivery mechanism and, and the assignment mechanism and, and, you know, the evidence mechanism, but um, we're going to enable people to, to bring content that they're already using, uh, you know, via, you know, other uh, security uh, awareness vendors uh, or uh, to very easily, you know, create their own content and then, you know, really quick plug for, for anybody out there that's developed training or, or feels like they have, uh, you know, uh, something to contribute. We actually are starting like a, a, a contributor program where we're actually working with um, uh, people to develop um, specific types of training around, um, around security awareness and privacy. Mm -hmm. So they, they, but, but within that, you know, they don't have to be just sort of your general security awareness training curriculum. They can be super specific for like, 
you know, compliance for marketing and sales or, um, you know, GPR for frontline uh, support workers, whatever it yeah. might be. Um, and so we're really excited about that uh, as well. So as of today, if I'm a beta customer, I'm getting the training that you, your company created. Is that right? You're getting the company. Uh, yes. Right now that's true. Uh, and- in the next, uh, Two to four weeks. That that yeah. will be. There'll, there'll be a more extensive content catalog. Yeah. But yes, right now it's um, content that we've created in house. Yeah. And we're we're talking in mid May, and this will run end of May. So uh, maybe by yeah, the time this runs, people are. It, it's already changed. We'll we'll see. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, podcast timing and product timing are yeah know, something I got you got to uh, work out. <laughs> um. It you know I'm just thinking you know I know you're you're focused on security and compliance training and, and I, and maybe privacy training as well, but like, why wouldn't this work just fine for any training, right? For my, you know, foreign corruption, foreign corrupt, private, I can't remember how to say it, FCPA, whatever that is. Um, anyway, yeah. that training or my diversity training or, you know, any, yeah. any training is, is there a reason that you guys are focused in one area? Just you can't do everything at once or what? Yeah. I mean, it, it's primarily, it's, it's primarily the last, I mean, we're, we're letting the kind of market drive us and we're definitely focused on building the company like in stages, you know, and so, so, in, and working closely with the companies that we have as customers during those stages. Um, there's not any, uh, yeah, the, the, we've had all of, we've had conversations with companies about all of those <laughs> things you just mentioned, those types of trainings you just mentioned. Uh, we just don't want to, you know, sort of veer too far, uh, you know, and, yeah. and chase too many things. I, speaking of like, you know, not making the same mistakes again, you know, I think, <laughs> I think one of the things I did at my last company was you can kind of very quickly, you know, chase you know, some people call it like shiny things. And yeah. so, um, but, but yeah, the ability to, you know, import content to deliver, to develop custom content, all those things definitely open up, you know, the ability to do different kinds yeah. of training. So. Yeah. And, and so, I know you're, as of today, um, serving a Slack application for, for doing this. Uh, and I think there's a, a roadmap to move beyond just Slack, right? Uh, yeah. So we're starting with Slack and, and Teams is kind of a natural extension from Slack because, you know, there's similar sort of uh, like functionality within the yeah. app. Um, and, but yeah, the goal beyond those two is to integrate with, you know, the other types of apps uh, and we call like workflow tools uh, and support, you know, things like Zendesk on the marketing and sales side, Salesforce, HubSpot, Marketo, um, and then, um, you know, Stripe and some others who have APIs we can use. And then um, we're even uh, actually going to be testing this summer with a couple of customers, a Chrome extension, and Mm -hmm. it'll, you know, kind of work like, um, like, like honey, the coupon (laughs) extension where you can kind of expect the URL and then provide training based on you know what somebody is specifically doing if it's configuring uh you know accounts in their banking application or you know configuring something within the AWS console like an S3 bucket or a VPC for networking or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, but the idea being to to get our get to to be as close to the actual actions that people are taking because you know the decisions associated with those actions are where like the rubber meets the road in terms of like security procedures and policies and procedures. So um, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're speaking exactly my language where like the, the worst kind of training is a big bulk training where I'm going to try and teach you 75 things all at once and hope that you remember them for the next year until I give it to you again. Like yep. the, the best training is when I teach you one very small, discrete thing exactly when you need it. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. and, and I, not, not to suggest that I can we're going to be able to do all 75 or uh, honestly, there's probably 750, right? Because mm-hmm. once you get out of the paradigm that I'm going to have to deliver them all at once, 
and to everyone, you just, you just train someone on the thing they need when they need it. And that's the only time you get it right. It, the closer you can get to that, um, the less we have cust- our, our employees or who are our customers internally, you know, dreading the security training and, and, and really they're actually starting to get value out of it because like, how do I, how do I uh, share this S3 bucket in a secure way? Oh, look at this. Yeah. Let, me, let me watch this training. Cause it's my first time doing it. Like the closer we can get to that reality, the better. And, and that's why I was, I was trying to lead you to that Chrome answer. Cause I, I feel like the Chrome answer Chrome is, you know, as you're able to finally really, you know, get it nuanced enough within that user ex- experience in those, um, in those applications and mm-hmm. those URLs, you, you're going to really be able to get that as close as possible to the, the, the place where it matters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we philosophically have the same approach. So we, you know, we, we, <laughs> we talk about it a lot, like human risk, employee risk, and it's almost like we're dinging them like employees as bad guys, you know, and, and it, it, the, the, the challenge is like they're constantly under attack from social engineering, you know, attacks and, you know, as phishing attacks, or they're constantly, you know, being put into a position to have configurations op- options for SaaS applications or whatever it might be. And so like, it is a, it is, you know, a matter of, of trying to kind of level the playing field because they, they really do want to make, they, they do want to be able to make those right decisions. They do want to configure yeah. the S3 bucket in the right way. They do want to be able to share that log data in a, in a Zendesk ticket, but in a way that doesn't share, you know, either secrets or PII or something that they shouldn't expose, but you know, they, 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 they really need kind of help in figuring that out because it, it's gotten really, really broad and it's changing really, really fast. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's obviously super exciting. It, you know, if there are people listening who number one, they, they, they would like to be a part of your beta program or just want to know more, you know, what's the right way or number one, is your beta program still open? If there's new companies who want to get involved? Yep. Yeah, so we're open. We're, we're um, we'll be coming out of it soon. We're we're in what's called we're in what we're calling as a public beta, and that's only because there are a few additional sort of features and things that we want to um, uh, layer in before we go into uh, just you know public launch. But uh, yeah, I mean you can you can sign up on our website, which is just hikeh.com. Hard to spell, but H A E K K E. Sorry, H A E K K A dot com. And, or, uh, you know, if we provide in the notes, you know, contact information, I'm happy to, to, to talk sure. to people about what we're doing as well. Um, but yeah, we, we're definitely looking to onboard new people, get feedback. Um, we're looking for people that, that potentially, you know, feel like they can contribute content or develop internally con- and they have internal content that, you know, they'd be interested in porting. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely open to that. Um, and, you know, as of today, Slack is the one app, you know, so obviously that's a, an ideal candidate pool of people who might be interested, you know, if people are, are using teams exclusively, is this a good time for them to talk to you or should they hold off? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're definitely actively talking to, you know, teams is, is in development. We're definitely actively talking to people and trying to understand, you know, we, we what we've discovered is, is teams and Slack are kind of talked about it in the same way. And there's lots of similar, you know, I mentioned it like functionality, but um, there are some differences in how people view like, you know, teams and Slack, like as a part of their company. So we're definitely open to talking to folks that are on teams uh, to understand if there are certain, if there are certain types of functionality that they want that, that Slack customers might not want. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're definitely, uh, you know, having those conversations. Awesome. Um, let me think you guys, you're, uh, I, I, did you kind of fund yourself? Did you go to VC at the beginning of this? How, how did this thing get kicked off from a financial perspective? And like, where are you in that process? Yeah. Uh, so we raised, uh, we, we, yeah, we, we have raised, um, uh, venture. So we raised what we call the pre-seed round of funding. So we raised like an initial round last summer, uh, like pre-product we have now, um, gone through, 
uh, or are going through the process of raising a, a seed round of funding. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and that's, you know, we're, I guess, very fortunate to, we still have um, the, the bulk of our pre-seed money in the bank. Uh, we're raising a seed because um, we do feel like there's a much more, a much larger and more immediate opportunity for companies to, to leverage us as a delivery mechanism for their existing content. And so that's where there's some additional stuff that we're building. But um, yeah, we're, we raised a pre-seed and now in the process of uh, raising a seed round. That's pretty pretty exciting stuff. And and what are you hoping to use that seed round to, to go fund? So there's a there's a few things we want to want to fund. Some of that is uh, tooling to to make it easier to one integrate existing content that you have, uh, whether that be internally created or from you know potentially other other vendors. Um, which is there's some unique challenges in doing that in a like a Slack format or in a you know Chrome extension, right? Uh, the other is um, uh, make it much easier for people to create content on, on Heika. Um, and that's people that are creating it for their companies or people that, you know, want to be a part of our content creation program, uh, mm -hmm. which we're launching here in the next few weeks. Um, so those are two, uh, like major features that we're going to bring to the market and then looking to go beyond and accelerate going beyond Slack to teams and then to that Chrome extension that I mentioned and some additional integrations, uh, later this year and then into next year with like um, you know, Zendesk and, and Salesforce and some of the other ones I mentioned. Well, I feel like the natural progression here then is uh, uh, what kind of people are you going to be looking to hire? If, if people are <laughs> listening right now or are looking for their next gig, what are you guys looking to hire? So we have a lot of openings for, or a lot of openings. We have, we have several openings uh, for uh, software developers, both front-end developers, but front-end like, you know, web, um, uh, React specifically, uh, developers, and then back-end, back um, primarily uh, Python uh, developers. Um, so those are the, the two, I guess, primary things on the, the engineering um, side. So, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of development work. Uh, if you do, you know, front Front end, back end, full stack. Like we're interested in talking to you. Uh, definitely, we're um, we, we operate. We're we're based in Colorado, and we're trying to hire the majority of people sort of in this this region. But we're we're operating the company as a remote you know company, so we, we do have some flexibility there. Um, and then we talked about this just before the podcast. We're looking for uh, folks that we're actually hiring for a. Um, director or head of growth role. And so that includes product marketing, which we talked about yeah. before this, but that's really somebody who feels like they can wear multiple hats, has worked in a, you know, probably a startup environment. Um, and, and we, you know, are really looking for somebody that is, you know, focused every day on, on how do I find people to talk to? And then, you know, when I'm talking to those people, what, you know, how do I help uh, figure out what the message is and what the right things are to say to, to, you know, um, uh, you know, get those people to want to try uh, Heike, So Awesome. Well, I have one more question for you and then I'll let you tell me anything you want to tell me. Um, okay. What does Heika mean? And, and I'm cheating because your website has it on here, but I'll let you tell if okay. you remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. So I get asked <laughs> that a lot. So um, it, 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 it's a nice, it's Icelandic. It means um, to elevate. And so we talk about it as elevating security engagement, yeah. elevating security awareness. Um, uh, and, you know, we also, my co-founder, as we went through the process, not surprisingly, a lot of companies that are being founded now, we have the .com. And so uh, that's, that's kind of how we went about, uh, went about the naming, uh, but the, the, the Elevate language helps a lot. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And we, we're going to be using it actually more and more. I, uh, I, I actually really love that name. That the fact that not only is it 
a good name, but the URL was available. That's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty impressive. Um, I, I sat down with one of the co-founders from Acuvant, if you, if you know mm-hmm. Acuvant, um, and, and, uh, and his answer about the name was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it means this domain name was available. Uh, that's, a, that's a definition of, of Acuvant. And uh, I, found that, I found that very funny. Um, yeah, that's a, that's, go a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I was going to say like, at last company, the part of that rebranding story to Datica was like, we had to, we found a guy who had owned this domain. He was in Canada. We had to go through a whole process of like masking who was buying it. So he didn't ask for too much money. It was a whole thing, but domain names are, domain names are hard. Yeah. Like really hard. <laughs> yeah, but, but you definitely want the dot com because if, if you don't have it, somebody else is going to have it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was all my questions for you. Is there anything else that I should have asked you about there that you wanted to make sure to share? You know, I don't think so. This is um, like impressively thorough. Uh, <laughs> and so, no, I mean, I mean, the, the only thing I'll add or the only thing I'll like reiterate is, yeah, I mean, if there are folks, you know, if there are folks, any folks, but, you know, particular folks here in, in, in Colorado that, you know, want to learn more and not just learn more to become a customer, we're really like actively soliciting and trying to talk to people about how they are doing these things today. And, um, you know, if there are things we can do to improve that experience, um, improve the product experience to meet some of those, those needs, we're, we're really actively looking to talk to those people. Awesome. Well, Travis, it's been a, a real pleasure getting to know you personally, such an interesting background. Um, the, the, the tech to consultant to medical school to starting a medical technology company uh, to back to security that's that's a pretty fantastic path and uh, I am definitely looking forward to seeing how this goes and you know maybe we can check back in in twelve to eighteen months and and you can tell us about the awesome uh, steps you guys have made in the meantime. Yeah, definitely. Maybe if you do these in person, maybe that's a point. When you- <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> awfully close to in person. I mean, I this was this is borderline right now. We could, probably could have done it, but uh, uh, we'll, no, we'll look know, for in person next time. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. And that's it for this week's Colorado Equal Security. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.